Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. My name is Jay, pastor here at Community Fellowship. We're so glad you're with us this morning. And it is, I can't say it enough, every week, uh, it's great to see people in the room. Aren't you glad to be able to see each other? Uh, this social distancing uh, thing uh, is taking a toll, I think, on me mentally, uh, as, as long as, uh, or as well as other things that have taken a toll on me mentally. I don't have much mental capacity left, so anything that messes me up, uh, really, it detracts. And so I'm glad to see you. I really am, church family. Those of you that are guests with us today, we're thankful that you're here as well, and uh, we're so glad that you, you're able to join us. And so uh, if, you're, if you're viewing online uh, right now, we're, we're live streaming, and so uh, we thank you for, for watching on YouTube or Facebook, and uh, we hope you're doing as uh, well at home uh, with your family. And uh, drop us a note on Facebook or on our YouTube chat, and just let us know you're out there. We're so glad uh, that you're joining us this morning, all right? And so uh, if you got a Bible this morning, we're going to get right to work, Colossians Chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And so uh, if you're in service this morning, in your seat is a set of sermon notes, and uh, that'll, that'll help you follow along in the message if you want to take notes or follow along. I want to give a shout out to all the kids in the room. Where are my kids at this morning? Oh, that's really weak. Now I need a, there we go. That's a little bit better, better uh, shout out. There's Scotty over there and my girls in the back. So it's good to have our families uh, in worship with us. Let me just give you a quick update uh, as far as our progress. Uh, many of you know, but some of you may not know that during this downtime, uh, we've actually taken the opportunity to do some renovation in our children's ministry area, uh, adding a classroom that we actually needed to add uh, before the fall. And so we took the, the liberty to go ahead and do that work while nobody was on campus. And so we're almost done with that which means that we'll almost, we're almost ready to resume at least childcare uh, for nursery and toddlers and children's church. Probably, it could be as early as next week. I don't know if we'll get it done, but, but in the next two to three weeks. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, but we're really excited about that. And, and I want to give a shout out to our volunteers uh, that have served uh, the last several weeks. Man, these guys have done a tremendous amount of work. And I, I'm, yeah, you can give them a hand. Listen. Uh, they have done a tremendous amount of work, uh, and you're not even going to recognize the space. I think some of you have snuck back there, uh, but that's okay. We'll let you do that. Uh, and even if you want today when we get done, if, if some of you want to kind of slide back and take a look, you're welcome to do that. Uh, Dave Sunwall will, will kind of guide you through that. But uh, our volunteer guys have done a really good job, and I'm proud of them. And uh, they, have, they have done so much work, uh, and, and they've done a really good job, and they, they love doing it. They love this church family. They love the Lord. And, uh, and I want to just give them uh, the credit that is due them because they have really labored uh, tremendously, all right? So uh, you ready to get in the book? This morning? Okay, so, you know, around here we like to teach the Bible. I, I don't have good jokes, so we're going to have to just stick to the book. And so uh, this morning, if you'll go to Colossians chapter 2, uh, we're, we've been going verse by verse in the book of Colossians, and, I, and it's a very practical book for us, uh, especially Christians in, in what I believe is the last days uh, this, is, this is a book that is easy to read through. You can actually read through it very quickly, just a few chapters. Mastering this book will take a lifetime. And, and I truly believe that if a Christian will, will point his mind to mastering some of the principles, or all the principles, really, out of the book of Colossians, that at the judgment seat of Christ, he or she would do really well. Does that make sense? It's, it's a book uh, that's really geared for us, practically speaking. And so uh, we're going to continue in our study. We'll finish chapter 2 and get into chapter 3 this morning. And, and the reason we're kind of overlapping chapters is because there's two verses that are, that are closely connected. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 begins with this phrase, 
Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, and then, and then the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is going to mention some things that if you are dead with Christ, in other words, you're, you're buried in his death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, you're saved. We've looked at that in the book of Romans. If you're dead with Christ, there's certain things you need to pay attention to. And then in Colossians 3 and verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ. And then there's a few more things that, that the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, mentions. So those two phrases really kind of bookend what we're going to talk about this morning. Those of us that are dead in Christ, we should pay attention to chapter 2, the last few verses. And if you're dead in Christ, that also means you're risen with Christ. So chapter 3 is going to have some added uh, emphasis, if you will. And so the title of the message this morning is, is called Wanted, Dead, and Alive. Wanted, Dead, and Alive. And this morning, we are not doing a detailed dissertation dissecting the songs of that great psalmist and prophet of old, Bon Jovi, that many of you, when I said that, said, hey, I, know, I think I've heard this before. No, we're not doing that. I don't see any cowboys in the room riding their still horses to church, but be assured that God wants you dead and alive, and so we'll leave it at that. And so we need to be reminded this morning as, as we kind of get going. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 has four warnings for us. We, we've kind of studied this in the past. Uh, there's four warnings, and I'll just draw your attention to the text. It, it's not on the, on the screen, but it is in your Bible. Uh, verse 4, God tells us to, to be careful lest any man beguile you. And then in verse 8, again, the Word of God warns us. He says, beware lest any man spoil you. Verses 16 to 17, let no man therefore judge you in meat and drink and respect a holy day. And then the fourth warning is in verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward. And, and specifically what he is talking about is your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And so chapter 2 is really a, a strong chapter of warning to us as Christians and those four warnings overlap, and this is in your notes, three type of people that will try to, that will try to spoil and beguile us from the faith. And, and as we've studied these passages, last week we were introduced to the legalist. And we said it last week, it's time to let go of legalism in the body of Christ because the Word of God tells us to. In verses 16 and 17, let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And listen, the legalist tries to tie your salvation and your spirituality back to the Old Testament law that dealt with the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, all five of those things have a, a very specific meaning to the nation of Israel in the past, but they also are a shadow of things to come. We studied that last week. Well, the legalist tries to, to judge you in things that don't necessarily apply to you today in, in, in modern-day Christianity, 21st century Christianity, as the body of Christ. And so we were introduced to that guy last week, and then we were also introduced to the mystic last week. And we got that out of verses 18 and 19, because the Bible says, "...let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen." vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And so, and so what we said last week is there are people in church and in religious organizations that, that base their spirituality on their spiritual experiences. In other words, they have visions and dreams. They have a vainly 
a puffed up mind, a carnal mind, and because their experience is greater than your experience, they're more spiritual than you. And they would even judge you or beguile you because of their extra biblical revelations, if you will. Does that make sense? And so, and so you've got the legalist that holds you to a standard that's not to you. You've got the mystic that holds you to his own standard because he has something you don't have. Does that make sense? And then this morning, we're going to be introduced to the third type of person that would spoil you or or, or possibly uh, deceive you or beguile you, and, and that is the ascetic. And, and so there's nothing like coming to church and learning new words. And so we'll leave that on the screen so that you can spell that properly. So, and, and that's, a, that's a, maybe a technical term, it's not a biblical term, but, but it does describe the type of person we're going to talk about in verses 20 to 23 this morning. Because this is the person that's focused on self-discipline, self-abstinence uh, from all forms of indulgence. And so, and so look at it like this. The mystic says he's spiritual because of what he has that you don't have. The ascetic says he's spiritual because of what he does not have that you have. Does that make sense? He, he is the, if you will, the Buddhist monk, right, that has forsaken all things to become one with the universe, so to speak. And so and so the ascetic, he, he compares what he does not have to what you have. And because he doesn't have the, maybe the material things or, or, or the traditions, then all of a sudden that, that somehow defines spirituality in his life. Let me just say this. This morning as we get into the text, I'm going to pray in just a second. But as we get going, I want you to understand that these three types of people are in every church and in every religious organization and these three types of people can also be wrapped up in one person or a combination. So any one of us could err on the side of the legalist and the side of the ascetic and hold other people in judgment. Does that make sense? Or we, or we, could, hide, we, could, we could find ourselves judging others based on, on uh, the experiences that we have and what we don't do. And judging, we can, we can have any combination of these three things in our life personally, as well as these people being present in our, in our churches and, and even our church family. And so, you know, it's important that we understand what God's word says this morning. So let's pray as we get going and uh, we'll pray again and then we'll get into the text and uh, spend a few minutes together in the word. Father, we love you this morning. Uh, as we begin again, I want, I want to just thank you for the day. I want to thank you that we can gather corporately uh, Father, I'm so excited uh, to be here with our church family and, and, and those that are in attendance today and those that are watching online. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for them. We pray that you, uh, in these crazy days, uh, God, give us a peace that passes all understanding. Help our comfort and our strength come from you. Father, we pray for our nation today. Uh, Lord, there is a tremendous amount of division in our country. And uh, Lord, we need, we need a biblical mindset uh, concerning these things. Uh, Father, we, we, when we see injustice, when we see racial divide, when we see cultural divide, when we see evil men doing evil things, uh, Father, we have to come back to the Bible and have a proper biblical response and, and perspective of these things. And so, Lord, I pray for our country. I pray for, for, for our communities uh, that have been affected by the difficulties of, of the past several days and, and, you know, the loss of life, the riots. Uh, Father, I pray for law enforcement officials, God, that, that really do do their job with integrity and honesty, and many of them are believers, and they fear you, and they understand authority. Uh, Father, we pray for the families affected 
on, on, on all counts. Lord, ultimately, we understand that, that it's because we are a sinful people in a sinful world that things like this happen. We can't point the blame to anyone other than the fact that we are broken, sinful creatures. And Lord, we need your help. And Father, you've given us the gift of salvation. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've given us the gift of your word. You've given us the gift of the body of Christ so that we can think different and live different and have community and have purpose in this life and a mission to accomplish. And so, Lord, I pray for your grace and your mercy and your favor on our country and our leadership. Father, we need you in a great and mighty way. And only you, Lord, uh, can, can take what's broken and mend it together for your honor and glory. And so we trust you with that. Bless the time as we study together. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so let's talk about this thing of being dead and alive for just a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Listen, number one, here's the key principle you want to get. Two principles is today. Number one, God wants me dead to the doctrines of men. God wants me dead to the doctrines of men. And we're going to read Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23, and we're going to talk about what that really means. Verse 20 says this, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why... As though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all things are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And I want you to go back to, to verse uh, 20 and, and, and verse 22, because there is a parenthesis in that text, and anytime you, you see a passage of Scripture like that and you see those parentheses, that's a, that's a thought within the thought. And if you were to read that passage again without the parentheses or add it to the end, I just, I just want to, for, for clarification's sake, do that. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, go to the end of the, the, the parentheses, why are you subject to ordinances after the commandments and doctrines of men. So, so the Apostle Paul writes to some people that are saved. They're born again. They are dead in Christ. They are risen with Christ. And he says, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, and then he says, why? So we're going to look at a couple of W's this morning. The first, the first word we need to focus on is that word wherefore. In other words, for which reason or for what reason And the reason is found in verses 11 and 12. The Bible reminds us, and I'll remind you, that that in Christ, the Bible says that we've been cut away from the body of the sin of our flesh. We've been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. There was an elective procedure performed on us, on you individually, when you received Christ. Verse 11 says, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands." in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. That's not water baptism, that's spiritual baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Everything that Paul is about to tell us in verses 20 to 23 hinges on the fact that we are dead, buried, and raised with Christ. Because he uses that word, wherefore. And so in your notes, you need to get this down and remember what we've already covered. Number one, I am dead in Christ at the moment of salvation. 
I am dead in Christ. I am buried with Christ in baptism, in immersion. And then number three, I am raised with Christ. Because of that, because of that truth, everything else that he's about to say, it connects back to these principles and to these truths. And and we don't have time, but, but if you go back to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7, it's on, the, it's on the notes. Listen, you are reminded again in Romans chapter 6 that, that we at salvation experience a death, a burial, and a resurrection, just like Jesus Christ. And we cover that in detail. And, and as a matter of fact, Romans chapter 6 tells us that because we've experienced that, we are free to not serve sin. We're free not to serve sin. It's a choice. We don't have to serve what we've been freed from. Romans 6 also tells us that we need to reckon, we need to account ourselves as dead. So even though positionally you may be dead in Christ, you have to reckon that. You have to account that in your life. Okay, so has anybody been saved in this room? Has anybody been saved online? Listen, okay, if you have been saved, do you still struggle with sin? We all do. The key is that we are dead in Christ positionally, but we have to reckon that death to our life every single day. You got to make a decision. When we get up out of bed and our feet hit the floor, the first thing in the morning is that Jay needs to get on the on the cross of Jesus Christ and reckon himself dead so that Christ's life can live through me. That's a daily thing. We have to account that into our life. Now, let me just say this for for the sake of you maybe that that haven't been with us and those of you viewing online. If you're not dead with Christ in salvation, the Bible says very clearly that you're still dead in your sin. In in other words, your sin has not been forgiven. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 is not on the screen, but the Bible says, "...in you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh." That's who we were before we got saved. We're dead in our sin... We hadn't been cut away from the body of the sin of our flesh. But when you come to Christ, he performs that spiritual surgery. He he cuts you away through the word of God and the spirit of God. And he raises you to new life. That's the point. Okay. Wherefore, if you're dead and buried and risen with Christ. We good? Wherefore, if that's any of us in the room... Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances after the commandments and doctrines of men? In other words, why, 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 would, why would you subject yourself to things that are not God's commandments and God's doctrines? Does that make sense? And, and so here's where we're going to talk about. Look, God, God has commandments and doctrine. Man has commandment and doctrine. Because of who you are in Christ, you need to choose wisely which one you obey. You need to choose wisely which one you obey. Now let me just say for for clarification's sake, God's commandments are always good. And God's doctrine is always good. Psalm 112 and verse 1 says this, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments, God's, God's commandments, God's words are something that you can delight in. Now, that doesn't mean that you do delight in them, but you should. 
because they're good. Psalm 119, verse 151, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are what? They're truth. So all of God's commandments are truth. The word doctrine just means specific teaching. Well, God's doctrine is good doctrine. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give unto you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. God's doctrine is good doctrine. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. I just want to, to establish God has commandments. They're good. God has, has doctrine. He has teaching. It's good. But what we see in Colossians is a a, a contrast. We see the polar opposite of God's doctrine and God's commandments. We see the, the commandments and the doctrine of men. And those, friend, are not good. They're not good for you. And they're not good for me. And so, and so the, the, the key reference is Mark chapter 7. We can, we can look at a couple of places, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 7 this morning. And we're going to see that there were a group of people, even in Jesus' day... They were very religious, they worshipped, they taught things. You could say they had church. You could say that they were professing believers. And yet, what they taught and what they required of other people were not the commandments and teachings of God. Mark chapter 7, look at verses 6 to 9. The Bible says, He answered and said unto them, Well saith Isaiah the prophet, uh, excuse me, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written... This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. This is what we're studying in Colossians chapter 2. God tells us because we are dead, buried, and risen with Christ, we should not subject ourselves to these types of things. And I'm telling you, listen, religion and even Christianity is full of, of doctrines and commandments of men, and they will ruin you. We have to have a biblical authority because God's word, God's commandments, God's doctrines are right. They're good. They're true. And listen, because of that, anything that God says, we should do. Amen? But listen, Mark chapter 7 sounds a whole lot like a lot of churches in the 21st century. Because, because guess, listen, what is, in, what is in this religious setting, number one, is hypocrisy. I mean, Jesus called them. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. I know that's not a popular word. You look right on the outside. On the inside, you're wrong. These people were religious. They were hypocritical instead of men and women of integrity. Do we have that in the 21st century church? I know that's not you, and don't look at your neighbor to make him feel bad. But okay, we have hypocrisy in the church of Jesus Christ. Secondly, they had lip service to the Lord. 
Because the Bible says that they, that they, that they gave uh, lip service to, to, to God in the text, right? Uh, this people honoreth me with their, with their lips. They know how to say the right things. They learn the Christian language, which, by the way, is a language, and it's pretty easy to learn. You throw a couple of brothers in there with a praise of the Lord and the word struggle and praying for you, and you just about got it. Quite honestly, it's ridiculous. Here are people that are religious, that are, that are obeying traditions of men and doctrines of men, and yet they give lip service to the Lord. And by the way, there's no shortage of religious talk in modern Christianity. The truth is, if you listen closely to people like this, the truth is there's really no substance. There's, no, there's really no substance. There's no specifics regarding God's word. It's just empty religious talk. Number three, these people had an unrepentant and distant heart. Their heart was far from God. Their heart was far from God. Instead of a heart that draws nigh to God, that draw, draws near to God, well, their heart was completely distanced from the Lord. And what God is showing us in Mark chapter 7 is that, that we can come to church, we can look right on the outside, we can say the right things, and our heart be far away from God. That, that includes us in this room. God is telling us that if we're not careful, we will follow commandments and traditions and doctrines of men, and our heart is still not right with the Lord. Number four, they had worship. The Bible says that in vain did they worship him. Instead of worshiping in spirit and truth, they had vain worship, empty worship, worthless worship of no substance, and that yielded no fruit. Oh, and by the way, there was no shortage of teaching, if you look at the text. The Bible says that they taught for doctrine the commandments of men. And I'll say it again, there's no shortage of teaching in the 21st century. There's no shortage of Christian literature and teaching. You say, Jay, are you against all Christian teaching and literature? I am certainly not. But what I am telling you is there's no shortage of teaching and what we need is biblical preaching and sound exegesis. We need a biblical hermeneutic that reveals God's doctrine so that we can obey that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul warned the Corinthians. He says, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. I would say that we have tens of millions of instructors in our day. Uh, of biblical Christian instructors. The problem is everyone wants to teach. No one wants to father and raise spiritual children. So there's no shortage of teaching in the hypocrisy uh, that is man's tradition in religion. And they hold the tradition of men instead of holding fast the faithful word of God. You know, one of the things that, that we've tried to do at this church for the last almost nine years is to establish and make sure that we have established a biblical authority. Why do we do what we do? Because the Bible teaches us to do that. Why do we not do that? Because we've always done it that way. Well, the way we've always done it is, is neither good nor bad. What does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about how we do worship? What does the Bible say about how we handle finances? What does the Bible say about how we do ministry? We need to have a biblical precedent, not tradition of men. Tradition is fine if it lines up with the Word of God. 
And, and if it supersedes the authority of Scripture, it needs to go. And so these people, listen, they hold the tradition instead of holding God's Word. Titus 1 and verse 9, Paul tells Titus, you need to hold fast the faithful Word as you've been taught. And I'm going to tell you, Christian, you, you can either hold tradition or you can hold God's Word, but you can't hold both. You've got to put one aside. You've got to put one aside. So whatever you're holding is going to determine what you lay aside. Whatever you're holding is going to determine what you lay aside. Because you can only have one authority. You can only have one authority. And it's either that book, rightly divided in context, or it's whatever tradition that you've allowed to become your authority. Does that, are we good? Okay. And, and ultimately, what we see in the end of the passage is, when you lay aside a biblical authority, you reject the commandment of God to keep your tradition. Ugh. Good people, man. Good, quote-unquote, religious people. Holding a standard and, and teaching for, for doctrine, tradition. I think a lot of churches struggle with that. I think a lot of Christians struggle with that. This is, this is a great description for most Christians in most churches on most Sundays. So we need to come to the conclusion that I'm dead to the commandments and doctrines of men. Because of my salvation in Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, I can't base my salvation or my spirituality on what I don't do according to man's standard. And if you read back, go back to Colossians 2, it goes through in verse 21, kind of the normal things that we judge spirituality with. Verse 21, touch not, right? Like you're spiritually mature if you don't touch a cigarette, right? Or touch the knob on your radio and hit the non-Christian radio station, whatever that is, right? I mean, all of you knew who Bon Jovi was, so I know what kind of music you listen to. <laughs> You probably got that in your car right now. You listen to that on the way to work or on the way to church this morning. You know what, what's interesting is if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you know the very first person that, that kind of fell into this trap was Eve. You know, God told Adam in the garden, you can eat of any tree you want, but, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. And then when the, the serpent shows up to Eve, you know what she says? Hey, we're not even supposed to touch that. Touch not. Well, that's not what God said. He just said, don't eat it. Touch not. And then, and then and Colossians 2 and verse 21, taste not. Because obviously whatever you put in your mouth makes you spiritual or not spiritual, right? I mean, don't eat bacon. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Right? As some people, you know, kind of have a standard on. You know, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 3 says that there are going to be people that forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Your spirituality is not defined by what goes in your mouth. And I'll say whether that's a piece of bacon or a cigarette. Now, are there health implications? Probably. And I love pork. And I love pork and I'll probably pay for it <laughs> in one way or another. But I'm telling you, it's no measure of spirituality. 
And, and again, we'll get to Romans 14 and we'll talk about liberty and how, how we're to use our liberty in Christ to help other people grow. But listen, the gauge of spirituality is not whether or not you got a pack of cigarettes or you eat bacon or you eat meat on Friday. And then he says, handle not. So we got touch not, taste not, handle not. And again, you got to choose what you handle. And, and most people, again, will exercise their flesh. First Timothy 4 and verse 8, bodily exercise profiteth little. You say, Jay, that's talking about working out. Well, let me just give you maybe a different perspective. Some people exercise their body into a religious monstrosity based on what they do and don't and what they handle and don't, and what they touch and don't, instead of learning how to handle God's Word. They'll judge spirituality based on how they handle money, and how they handle relationships, and how they handle all these other things, and they need to learn how to handle God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 John chapter 1. Okay, and so the point is, Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness is God manifest in the flesh. That's one of the mysteries. It's Jesus Christ, God being manifest in the flesh. But you know what? Godliness should be manifest in your flesh. And you can't do that by your own power. Have any of you tried? And how did it work? You ended up like the, the Mark 7 people, man. It, it, it's commandments and doctrines of men... And God never was fully manifest because that's the Holy Spirit's job. Only he can do that. And, and you know, the sad reality is, and, and, you know, sometimes I wish we weren't streaming, but it's okay. The sad reality is I'm not sure that most professing believers in the 21st century could truly recognize what biblical godliness really is because they base it on the wrong standard. And you probably do too. By the way, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had trouble recognizing God manifest in the flesh, and he was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. So God says we need to be dead to those things. He says, he says because we are dead with Christ, we need to be dead to the commandments and the doctrines of men. He does say that those things are going to have a show of wisdom and will worship. And, and, and really what's happening is it's your will manifesting some kind of false holiness instead of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. By the way, your will is, well, it's not worth being accomplished. No offense. God, let God's will be done in our life. Amen. That's the point. There's a false humility that's manifest. That's mentioned again in verse 18, same chapter. There's a neglecting of the body because of these false religious standards. You know, the thought is, the more I withhold from myself, the more spiritual I become. Oh, oh you, you are so spiritual. You've given up so much in your life. Well, that's not what defines spirituality. And ultimately, God tells us it doesn't bring any honor all it does is, is bring the satisfying of the flesh. Your flesh likes to be satisfied, by the way. And, and you, if you're not careful, can satisfy your flesh through religious activity. If you're not careful. Luke chapter 18. Let me give you the text and then we'll get the last point and we're done. Luke chapter 18. I, I want you to look at verses 10 to 14. 
the, the things that don't honor God in our life are the things that satisfy the flesh. So in Luke 18, there's these two men. And I think this is a great illustration of what we just talked about. In Luke 18, verse 10, the Bible says two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican, a tax collector. The, fa- the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Okay? And you're going to see a very self-focused person in this Pharisee. He prayed with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican who's sitting right across from me in church. Don't look at your neighbor. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, who is the emphasis of his prayer and religious activity? Himself. I, 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 I. Lord, here's what I do. Here's what I don't do. I'm not like these other people. His basis of judgment was a legalistic, mystic, ascetic (laughs) basis of judgment. And then you got the other guy, the publican, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's like, I got nothing to bring to the table. God, just help me. Have mercy. Well, he recognized who he was. And by the way, he makes no mention of the Pharisee. Did you notice that? He doesn't even acknowledge the Pharisee. All he acknowledges is the Lord. Well, Jesus says, I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Because we are dead in Christ, why are we subject to man's commandments and doctrine? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be because of who we are in Christ. Number two. Number two. So because we're dead to the doctrine of men, number two, God wants me to be alive unto the things above. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. We'll wrap this up really quick. Because I am dead to the doctrine of men, God wants me alive unto the things that are above. Look at Colossians 3, verses 1 to 3. If ye then be risen with Christ. Anybody risen with Christ in the room? Okay, listen, this is, this is for us then. If we're saved, this is for us. If we're risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So the remedy for a carnal, hypocritical, religious mind is to have a redirected and a renewed mind... And God tells us, number one, we need to seek some things that are above. And and God is very specific with his wording. Seek those things that are above. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33 should give us some insight into this. Because many times we don't seek the right direction. Therefore, we can't seek the right things. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 31. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Right now, you're all probably thinking, you know, 10 more minutes and I, you know, barbecue. Okay, so take no thought, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewith shall we be clothed? Did anybody have that conversation this morning? 
what am I going to wear to church? Now, those of you streaming at home, obviously you're in your pajamas, whatever. That's fine. You didn't have to put a lot of thought into it. But for the rest of us, wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. You see, we still get stuck in the trap of seeking things in the wrong place. Not necessarily the things that are above, they're the things that are on this earth. Food, drink, clothing. We, we, my family, we, we spent the day yesterday together. We sought all of those things, like several times. We ate several times. We, you know, we refreshed ourselves. We had like an icy last night uh, at, the, at the pool down here. The food trucks were down here. There was another food truck that had some amazing barbecue. We, I, I sought some of that, you know. Allie was like... The food trucks are at the pool. Where? Let's go right now. Let's seek that. And we did, and we found it, and we paid good money, and it was fantastic. It was amazing. But but that shows us that generally those are the things that we seek after. And, And God says, if you're risen with Christ, you're looking in the wrong place. You have to redirect your eyes above. And he even gets very specific Above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So anybody watch the SpaceX launch this, this week? Anybody? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Kind of interesting. They're sending the dragon into space, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. From the Bible, we know that, that our atmosphere is the first heaven, that space is, is what the Bible would call second heaven, so to speak. And, and then where God dwells and the throne of God is, is in the third heaven. So even, even though, you know, my family was searching and seeking for meat and drink yesterday, and then some of us were actually even searching above and looking at SpaceX into the second heaven, well, that's still not far enough. God says, no, you have to, you have to seek some things that are all the way up where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Well, that's the third heaven. Well, what is up there that I'm supposed to be seeking? Number one, Christ is there. I mean, he tells you, he kind of gives it away in the verse, doesn't he? Christ is there. He's sitting on the right hand of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, we're looking for Christ to return from heaven. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And by the way, today is Pentecost and it would be a great day uh, for the rapture. Just throw that out there. Amen. Christ is above, so that's who we should be seeking. Number two, the throne of God is above. I mean, that's where he's seated. Revelation 4, John got to see it. Revelation 4, verses 1 to 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as, the, uh, as of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I, I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Listen, this throne, it's something you ought to seek. It's where Christ is sitting. It's that heavenly throne. Uh, He is still on the throne. We say that all the time. He's still on the throne. 
that's where it is. And so when, when, when this world has uncertainty and chaos and, and misunderstanding and, and, and listen, all the difficult things that we will experience and will continue to experience, there is someone seated on the throne and all of these things are under that. So at the end of the day, man, I can have comfort and peace and assurance when I seek that throne. Number three, the departed saints are there. Those departed saints, our loved ones in the Lord that have gone on before us, and listen, all of us can relate to this, our brothers, our sisters, our, 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 our parents, our grandparents, listen, those that are in Christ but have gone on before us in the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him from heaven. From heaven. It's going to be the greatest family reunion ever. I'm telling you, man, the rapture is going to be the greatest family reunion ever. And listen, those loved ones that have gone before us, we know where they are. Number, number four, listen, the judgment seat of Christ and our eternal rewards are in heaven. They're not on this earth, church. They're in heaven. So Romans 14, verse 10, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or what dost thou set at, at naught for thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 tells us that when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So our eternal inheritance, this has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with what you do with your salvation after you got it. The question is, are you laying up? Can you look up right now and see treasure that's waiting for you at the judgment seat of Christ? That's a fair question. Can you look up right now and, and know that the judgment seat of Christ is coming and know that we'll stand and give an account, not for your sin, but for your service, and based on what you've done since you've been saved, whether or not the Lord will bestow upon you reward? Can you look right now and say, man, I have invested heavenly in eternal things? Or, 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 or would you say, you know, I, I really have invested in earthly things, food, drink, Clothing, houses, cars, career. The word of God is in heaven. Psalm 119 and verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And I just want you to understand, listen, when you seek God through his word, this word may be in black and white and in your pages of paper in a leather-binded book, but the word of God forever is settled in heaven and you connect on a heavenly level when you interact with this written word of God and the written scriptures. Do you seek that? I mean, has the COVID thing helped your Bible reading or hurt it? It's hard to say, well, I just don't have time to get in the word of God. When for the last eight, nine weeks, you ain't had really time to do anything. You hear me, Church. I mean, are we seeking the things above? When you, when you get your nose in this book, you're seeking the things that are above. The new Jerusalem is above. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26, the Bible says, Jerusalem, which is above, is free. That new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and verse 2 will come down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her, her husband. Let me try to wind this down. Look, these are the things that are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Here's our problem. This is my problem. This is your problem. 
The problem is we can't see any of those things. Can you see Christ sitting, sitting on his throne right now? Can you see the departed saints? Can you see the word of God in heaven? Can you see the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards that are being laid up? Can you see those things? Well, not with, with, not with fleshly eyes, you can't. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And just stop right there. If ever there was a weird statement in the Bible, that is it. Okay, I'm not looking at the things that I can see. But I'm looking at the things that I can't see. If you can't see them, how, how can you look at them? Does anybody else read the Bible like me and just be like, how, how, that doesn't make sense? Well, it does make sense because he says the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? Okay, so, so if you can see me at home on the live stream, well, what you see is this flesh suit that is temporal. This, this lectern is temporal, the stage is temporal, these chairs are temporal, this piece of paper is temporal. How do I know it's temporal? Because I can see it. But the things that I can't see are eternal. Christ, the throne of God, the saints of God, the judgment seat of Christ, the rewards of the judgment seat of Christ, the word of God, the new Jerusalem, and all the other things that we could talk about. We can't see those things with our fleshly eyes, but we can see them through faith. We can see them through the eyes of faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's some of our problems today, quite honestly. We, we spend our life walking by sight instead of by faith in what God's word says. That's why men like Paul, men like the apostle John, that's why Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw visibly the things that are really eternal. Remember, Paul got caught up to the third heaven. Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. John, in the book of Revelation chapter 4, saw the throne of God. When they really saw it, saw it, saw it, their faith became sight. And buddy, when they saw it, they, weren't, they were never the same. Now you don't need a visit to the third heaven. You need a visit into God's word to convince you by faith that the things that God says is true. It's good commandment. It's good doctrine. So we got to seek the right things. And then secondly, and we're done. We got to set our affection on the right things. Verse two, Colossians chapter three, verse two says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That, 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 that phrase set your affection. Anybody ever built a fence or built a deck or, or put like wood in the ground with concrete. You ever done that? We call that setting a post. We set a post. What do we do? We dig a hole. We put a, a four by four in the hole and then we measure it and we level it and we get it exactly right. And then we pour concrete in that hole to set it in that position. We use that phrase all the time. Set your affection on things above. In other words, position it, set it and secure it to a specific location, your affection has got to be set on the things above. Lamentations 3 and verse 51 
says this, mine eye affecteth what? My heart. So, so if we'll start seeking the right things first, as Colossians says, seek those things which are above, well then our heart will follow. If you redirect your eyes, your heart is going to follow. First Chronicles 29 and verse 3 is the last verse I'll share with you. Look, the Bible says, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of God, over and above that I have prepared for the holy house. The point is, we have to set our affection toward the things of God. You say, well, I, I don't really just have a heart for God's word yet. No problem. The first thing you need to do is start reading your Bible. Well, I don't want to read my Bible. Start reading your Bible, and then all of a sudden your heart will follow. Well, I don't really have the right heart to do ministry. I just really don't have the affection to do ministry. Start doing ministry. And, and by the way, your heart will follow. Well, I just don't have a heart for discipleship. Get discipled, start getting discipled, and you will develop a heart for discipleship. Well, I don't have a heart to disciple other people. Start discipling other people, and you will have a heart to disciple other people. Do you see how it works? Seek the right things and then set your affection on the right things. Well, that's how it works. In closing, listen, God wants us dead and alive. And I know the tune that's going through your mind right now. (laughs) But God wants us dead and alive. You know, the first question I have to ask is this. Are you dead, buried, and risen with Christ? Are you saved? Are you saved? Listen, if you can remember a time where you came to Jesus Christ as a sinner, just like that publican, and said, God, just have mercy on me. I don't have anything to offer, but will you just have mercy on me? Will you save me from my sin? Listen, listen we all should be able to remember that time in our life. If we can't remember that time in our life, today, may the, today is <laughs> the day you need to get saved. You can come to Christ today. He, he will forgive you of your sin. But if you are dead in Christ and dead with Christ, listen, are you dead to the doctrines of men? Is your commandment and doctrine the doctrines of men or is it the the commandments and doctrine of God? In other ways, and and another way to ask that is, do you do what you do or do you not do what you don't do based on men or based on the Spirit of God and the Word of God? And and is your measure of spirituality extra-biblical? Something that's not really rooted in the Word of God. And number three, look, if you're alive, and you are in Christ, if you're dead with Christ, you are alive with Christ. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Because, because, Because God wants both. It's easy to say, man, I'm not wrapped up in that traditional religious mumbo-jumbo of the Pharisee. Good. But the other half of that coin is God's called us to seek those heavenly things, those eternal things, not the temporal things of this life. Look, we need food, we need clothing, we need, we need things to drink, and, and, and we need cars to drive in. God knows that. God, God provides those things. But he provides those things when we have the right perspective, when we seek him First, are you seeking eternal things? Is your affection set on eternal things or on temporal things? And I want to challenge you with that, church. Let's bow our heads and we're going to just pray 
if you're watching via live stream, this will be a great opportunity for you to pray as well and just respond to God's word. Father, we need you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you as we're learning in the book of Colossians, uh, positionally where we stand in Christ. We also, we also are learning the practice of that in a very real way. We're learning that, that, that doctrines and commandments of men have no place in our life. We need to have a biblical authority. We, have, we need to have a biblical authority. And that may make some of us uncomfortable because we may have grown up in a religious system that we were, were comfortable with because that's what we know. And, and none of us like change. But listen, if, 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 if God, if, 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 if the teaching is not in the Bible, well, we have to submit to your authority. We have to submit to what your word says. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be dead to those commandments and to those doctrines. And Father, help us to be alive and seeking those things which matter, the things that are above, where you sit on the right hand of God. For every one of us, God, help us to to examine our perspective and, and examine the things that we seek after and that we have a heart for. And God, help those things to be the things that, that are eternal. And if we're not seeking that, God, give us a redirect. Help us to, to change our focus starting today. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the time together with the church family. I thank you for those streaming as well, and I pray that they have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless. Amen.